Thanks for joining us for today's edition of Lessons for Living. His word so fresh in our hearts abound. His word made flesh in the here and now. A new life is beginning. Lord, let us hear your lessons for living. Lord, let us hear your lessons for living. God knows that nothing happens in our life by accident. So all of these circumstances... We're leading David to realize, well, if I hadn't reacted so quickly, I wouldn't have got anger. And when he is corrected, he's learning humility. Here's a woman in front of 400 men saying, David, in a very nice way, what are you doing? Certainly many of David's men knew like, this is not right. This isn't the David I know. But of course, they're not going to say anything. One of the wonderful things about the Bible is that it tells people stories, warts and all. Even someone like David, from whose line the Messiah would come, is shown with his weaknesses as well as his strengths. One of the hallmarks of David's character is his willingness to accept God's discipline in his life. Pastor Mark will be teaching about David's response to Abigail's gentle rebuke of his intent to kill her husband. How David hears God in her words and attitude responds correctly. This is a reminder to number one, fly off the handle, and number two, listen for God's advice and correction, and then respond appropriately. Remember, there's quite a few ways to receive a copy of Pastor Mark's teaching. He'll be sharing all that information with you at the close of today's broadcast. Now here's Pastor Mark in 1 Samuel chapter 25, as he continues his series, The Life of David. Let us hear your lessons David knows God intervened in his life. Big time. David knows that God is the one who stopped his very foolish plan. I want you to write this next statement down. God often uses people to correct us, to challenge us, and to encourage us. Now, God can just speak through a scripture. He can speak through our conscience. He can speak through circumstances, or he can speak through people. And here is a woman, Abigail, who's been directed by God to save David from something he would have regretted his whole life. We talked about this in pastor staff today, and it's good. You and I can look back in our lives After you became a Christian, all of us before we became a Christian did stupid things, sinned, all kind of things. But since you become a Christian, you need to thank God tonight for his grace. Because very often, we were that close to destroying our life, even after a believer. A situation, a lustful look, a sinful thing in my life, almost decide to do this, do that. I don't need to go there. You can go there. I've gone there many times. And I look back and go, thank you, Jesus. Amen? Amen. Thank you, Lord. By the way, life's not over. So there'll be more of those interventions. Thank you, God. Because the Spirit is willing, 
but the flesh is weak. There's nobody different in this room. We're all alike. And but for the grace of God, whew, there we go. Or in the future, I think of myself, how many pastors have fallen? Solid, anointed men for years. Boom, it's over. You've seen it. We wonder. No different than you or no different from me. So David realizes, whoo, what a huge blessing from God. And you and I, that's what's called grace tonight. You understand that. That's what's called grace. Now, turn with me to Romans chapter 12. Just for a second, we'll be right back. When God uses people, we have to be reminded that in this church, here in Melbourne, and we're a family. We're together. We're gifted together. Now, just look at verse 4 and 5, Romans 12, 4 and 5. I'll read it in the New Living Translation. Just as our bodies have many parts, and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are all parts of his one body, and each of us has different work to do. And since we are all one body in Christ, we belong to each other. Each of us needs all the others. That's something that you have to learn. We understand the body illustration, but we don't seem to understand that as it heads on over to the spiritual church. We kind of think, well, in this church, the only people that are really needed are like the people on the platform up here. Well, let's take these cameramen away. Most of you would be having your binoculars to try to see me up here. And what if we take the sound booth away? How good was that for you? And what if you were still trying to find a parking place tonight? Okay? So all of these things we have to understand. So in the Bible, and I'm not going to give you all of them, but there's more than 50 one another commands. See, we relate to each other. We encourage each other. We challenge each other. We correct each other. And that's why the small groups and the relationships always have to happen as we do that. And in a small group, you learn some amazing things. And in a small group, over time, one of the things you learn is there's a leader. And you have to submit to the leader. And sometimes a leader has to say to people in the small group, uh, we need to hear somebody else speak. Ever been in a group like that? One person wants to say everything because they kind of want to be the leader. Well, you have to take them aside and go, okay, come on now. We need more than a mouth and whatever. And we just do kind things. But see, we learn to what? Submit to one another. Now, if you can't learn to submit to one another, you'll be useless in the kingdom of God. If you can't learn to submit to one another and to your husband, and to your wife, in the leadership of this church, you'll be useless. You'll be a rebel all your life. And so we, and the reason people don't submit is because they don't think they need that person, or that leader, or that whatever. Can you imagine an orchestra tonight where everybody got up here a few minutes ago and did their own thing? Wow. It's like a jazz session or something. Who knows what it would be like? But what? We had people, what is, lead us into what? Worship. Why? Because we're submitted to who? God. So let me read you some of the one another commands and ask yourself with a submissive attitude, because you realize how valuable other people are, 
Are you doing these things? Love one another. Receive one another. Greet one another. Here it is. Submit to one another. Have the same care for one another. Forbear one another. Confess to one another. Forgive one another. Do not judge one another. Do not speak evil of another. Do not murmur against one another. Do not bite and devour one another. Now, why in the world would that be in the Bible? Because we do that. Remember 1 Corinthians? I like Paul. I like Peter. I like Apollos. What Paul finally said. Wait a minute. It's not about man. It's about God. It goes on. Do not provoke one another. Do not envy one another. Do not lie to one another. So what we see is that God puts people in our lives just like Abigail was put in David's life. He doesn't even know her. But God ordained her to be there to save his life. A woman that he doesn't really know to save the future king of Israel's life. What did he do? He didn't say, woman, who are you? What do you mean you're saying something to me? You're a woman. I don't even know you. He submitted to her wisdom. Why? Because he knew who sent her. It was God. See, that's, that's the difference tonight between Saul and David. We're seeing an ugly side of Saul, which is the same ugly side that you and I see. But when Saul's confronted, you'll see it again. What does Saul do? Makes excuses. You'll see him begin to say, oh, David, my son, I love you, my son. Where's my sword? I'm going to kill this guy. Hi, how are you? And he's never truthful. But David, when confronted, he repents. That's a sign of a real believer. He submitted to God. So I just want to challenge you. Connect tonight. You know this. This is in the book. We have a whole chapter on connect. If you're here tonight, and you've been coming, and you've never got yourself plugged into some kind of a home group, a small group, a men's study, lady study, single study, fusion study, get yourself plugged in. Because you will make mistakes in life, and as people are speaking truth into your life. We don't do this alone. So get yourself in a group where you can submit one to another, and then good things happen. Now, what would happen if God had not sent Abigail to intervene? David would have forever been unhappy at what he did. It would have been horrible for him, but he does the right thing. Look at Proverbs 12.1. This is good for you and I, all of us, because we'll be there. He listens to reproof. He listens to correction from God. He's not above being corrected, even though he's king. doesn't matter because God's the king. Proverbs 12.1 says this, to learn... You must love discipline. It is stupid to hate correction. I love that translation. Now, I get some people that say to me, you should never use the word stupid. That's stupid. (laughs) How many know stupid's a word that you and I are very familiar with? Here we are. So if I don't, what what if if David doesn't accept that he's stupid? Because he's going to regret it all his life. So next thing you want to write down underneath that is this. A wise person listens to correction, and here's the deal. Changes. Changes. Not just listens to it. Very often you'll have people, I remember many times as a manager, you brought people in the office, you have to give correction, you do all kinds of things, whatever, evaluations or whatever. Yeah, and they write all these things and nothing changes. Well, they weren't wise. So all of us tonight understand 
Proverbs 15, 5 says, Only a fool despises a parent's discipline. Whoever learns from correction is wise. So don't let your pride get up so that you don't take the correction. Now, what was God doing allowing David to be involved in this thing anyway? Why did God let David go this far? Where was God in all of this? God allowed Nabal to react that way to do a number of things. Number one, to test David and to mature David. You're going to see God allows the children of Israel to go 40 years in the wilderness to test them, to see what's in their hearts. So the next thing you want to write, it's a little long, so I'll give you time to write it, but it's jam-packed with good stuff. David was being taught patience, humility, self-control, and daily dependence on God. So God allows Nabels in our life to diss us, to cause us to react in anger so that we might be testing. God knows that nothing happens in our life by accident. So all of these circumstances were leading David to realize, well, if I hadn't reacted so quickly, I wouldn't have got anger. And when he is corrected, he's learning humility. Here's a woman in front of 400 men saying, David, in a very nice way, what are you doing? Certainly many of David's men knew like, this is not right. This isn't the David I know. But of course, they're not going to say anything. So he's also learning he should have had self-control. And remember, he didn't say to God, hey, God, is it okay I go over there and wipe out all those people? He never asked God that. He just did it. So God's teaching us lots of things. One day, David in Psalm 40 says this, I waited patiently for the Lord to help me, and he turned to me and he heard my cry. He lifted me out of the pit of despair, out of the mud and the mire, and he set my feet on a solid ground and steadied me as I walked along. Probably he prayed that numbers of times in his life, but I bet you not long after this, in a daily time, he probably wrote a few chords right there. Where David says, God, I'm so glad you were patient with me. You came to me. You turned to me. You saw the foolishness of my life. And you lifted me out and put me on solid footing. So I would learn to trust you. Now, let's go back to 1 Samuel 25. Look at verse 35. Then David accepted from her hand what she had brought him and said, Go in peace. I have heard your words. And I've granted your request. So he's wise because he's teachable. And he's going to do something very different. Now, when Abigail went to Nabal, he was in the house holding a banquet like that of a king. He was in high spirits, very drunk. And she told him nothing until daybreak. Then in the morning, when Nabal was sober... His wife told him all these things. So she uses wisdom. She doesn't tell him when he's drunk because who knows how he'd react. And in the morning when he's sober, his heart failed him and he became like a stone. So he, for whatever reason, fear entered his life. And look at this. About 10 days later, the Lord 
struck Nabal, and he died. We don't know what happened, paralysis, stroke, heart attack, who knows? Now, let's ask a couple of questions. Sometimes we don't think about this. What about the riches that Nabal had stored up for himself? You know who's they're going to be? This is amazing. Who's all the riches going to go to? You're going to see in a moment. They obviously go to who next? Abigail. But you're going to see at the end of the teaching, where does Abigail go? To David. So who gets them in the end? David. And so David's going, why did I do all this? I didn't just get a few loaves of bread. I got everything. But you're going to see that isn't really the wise move either. So I want to just talk to you a little bit. What was the difference between chapter 25 and Samuel died and all of Israel mourned for his death? Now, Nabal dies. Who goes to the funeral? Kind of whoever has to. Is there any difference in the two men dying? Huge. Huge. Sometimes as I think about this, now let's turn to Matthew chapter 19 just for a second. There's many people as we go through this that think Jesus had Nabal in mind when he gave us the parable of the rich fool in Luke 12. Remember the one that had the barns and kept building more barns and more barns and more barns and tonight your soul will be required of you then what's going to happen to it? Look at what Jesus says in Matthew 19 verse 21. Remember, Jesus talking to this rich young ruler, and and, uh, the rich young ruler had come asking, you know, how in the world, what do I have to do to get to heaven? Jesus answered the young man, if you want to be perfect, go and sell your possessions, give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. Remember, riches had become his God. When the young man heard this, He went away sad because he had great wealth. Look at verse 23. Then Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth. It is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. That's probably not underlined in your Bible. But it's a very, very rich truth for the United States. A lot of the world doesn't have any issues with that. But see, when this young man was confronted with the money had become his God, he wasn't willing to give it up. Now, we would all say here tonight, well, money isn't my God. Things aren't my God. Careful. Notice what Jesus says. Beware the danger of riches. Beware. Now, here's a great question for all of us. If we're rich, is that a blessing? Or a curse. If we're rich, is that advancement or hindrance? If we're rich tonight, is that an advantage or a disadvantage? Well, can be any one of those, depending what we do with those riches. By the way, if you're here tonight, it doesn't matter what happens in this economy. Compared to the rest of the world, we're rich. You know that. You know that. First Timothy, Paul wrote it like this, chapter 6, verse 10. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It isn't whether you're rich or not rich. It's what we do with it. For some have strayed from their faith in their greediness. This young man would not even come to faith because he wouldn't give it up. 
and have pierced themselves through with many sorrows. So money or wealth is not the issue. The love of money or wealth is the issue. Jesus earlier said, do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth. The term lay up could be better translated, don't stockpile. Don't hoard it. Jesus was not saying it's wrong to have things. He was just warning against being materialistic to the nth degree. I like the message in 1 Timothy 6. Notice what it says. Tell those rich in this world's wealth to quit being so full of themselves and so obsessed with money, which is here today and gone tomorrow. Here today, gone tomorrow. We know that one, don't we? Tell them, tell them to go after God who piles on all the riches we could ever manage to do good, to be rich in helping others, to be extravagantly generous. If they do that, they'll build a treasury that will last, gaining life that is truly life. So thanks again for being generous. You know this verse. This is where it is. As we store up in heaven, yet godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment, not money, has nothing to do with it. You are making a difference. You're making God look good. Thank you. Thank you so much with your generosity for the building behind and all the other stuff. We're not like Nabal. That night, Nabal's gone. It's over. It's finished. Nothing went with Nabal to eternity. And nothing will go with you. All right. Remember, naked we came into the world. And naked we leave the world. Doesn't matter what they put in, put that nice foot, put the jewelry on, put it all over the place. <laughs> the tomb hunters will get the sucker. It's over with. We're gone. As they say in Georgia, we leave naked and we're gone. First <laughs> Samuel twenty five, verse thirty nine. Now when David heard that Nabal was dead, he said. Praise be to the Lord. Now, it doesn't stop there, so don't, don't be mad at David. Praise God. Praise be to the Lord, who has upheld my cause against Nabal for treating me with contempt. He has kept his servant from doing wrong and has brought Nabal's wrongdoing down to his own head. Then David sent word to Abigail, asking her to become his wife. So now, what has happened? What is David saying in that verse 39? It's huge. David's saying this. Revenge is always God's. See, he didn't need to get angry. He didn't even need to have Abigail come and stop him. If he'd have just remembered a scriptural principle that God is the one who always gets the revenge. We're told to leave the revenge to God. But we don't want to leave it to God. We want to get even. When God gets even, it's way better. And he's just thanking God that whatever was happening, and you might be here tonight. Now remember, the the Bible says that people are going to do unjust things to us. And we'll want to get even. We're going to be persecuted for things that we haven't done. And we're going to want to get even. But God is the one that gets even. So we just leave that to Him. In today's teaching, you heard about the importance of keeping your thoughts under the discipline of the Holy Spirit, as well as your need to be willing to hear God's correction through the voice of someone else. Again, Pastor Mark taught how all the events of David's life were used by God to make him a better person, leader, and king, and how this applies in your life as well. You don't have to wait to hear another message from Lessons for Living. 
Visit LessonsForLivingRadio.com to access our archive of messages on various topics and books of the Bible. Subscribe to our podcast as well to receive updated teachings as soon as they're made available. We're so glad you joined us today and we'd love to connect with you. Feel free to contact us with your questions and prayer requests at 866-779-3441. That's 866-779-3441. Next time, Pastor Mark will continue his teaching on the life of David. He will be taking a sidetrack to show how riches can corrupt one's life by giving one a false sense of independence. You'll hear about the foolishness of Nabal as well as about God's judgment on him. You'll be reminded of the difference between true and false repentance, using David and Saul as examples. Well, that's all the time we have for today's broadcast. From all of the production team here at Lessons for Living, we want to say thank you for tuning in, and may God bless you. And together, let's do life right. In a hurting world, a new hope he is given.